Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading is taken, taken from the book of Romans, chapter 14, verses 20 through 23. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. It is a blessing to be with you here this morning as we worship the Lord together. So whether you are here in person this morning or you're watching online, thank you for being with us as we worship the Lord. My name is David Duran, and I am the church planting resident here at Doxa Church. My family and I, my wife and our two daughters, we are preparing to move to the Plymouth area of Massachusetts to plant a church next year, and it is both exciting and terrifying to be able to say that. Um, but we are grateful for the time that we get to spend here at Doxa as we are being equipped for what we hope will be a lifetime of fruitful ministry in New England. Well, let me pray for us this morning, and then we'll get started uh, in our passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning for you are good and your steadfast love endures forever. We praise you for your faithfulness towards us. We praise you because we can trust you and we can depend on you for our strength. Father, we praise you for Christ and for the righteousness that we have through faith in him. Father, we give thanks because you have, you have not left us as orphans in this world, but have given the Holy Spirit to those of us who are your children. Father, we come before you this morning as people who are in desperate need of you. We need to know that you are here with us this morning. We need to feel your love and your grace and your mercy towards us. Father, we pray collectively right now as a church body that you would breathe life into our souls this morning. May we well up with peace and with joy. We pray today that you would nourish us with your word and through communion. We pray that you would give us the faith and the strength to walk through the trials that we face in this life. Father, we pray that you would make us a people who are filled with joy, regardless of the circumstances that we face. Father, I wanna pray right now for the children who are back in Doxa Kids. We pray that you would overwhelm them with your love and fill them with your truth. We pray that they would grow up to be men and women who love you with their whole hearts. 
Father, we thank you for the gift that all the children are to our church. Father, I also want to pray for individuals and families in our church and in our community who have been affected by COVID-19. Father, we pray that you would bring physical and emotional healing. And Lord, we pray that you would use this pandemic for your glory. Lord, we know that for a number of reasons, there are people across our nation this morning who are feeling afraid, angry, anxious, grieved, and a host of other sort of negative feelings and emotions. We pray that those who are struggling today would be caught up in your warm embrace. God, we pray for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We know that you are our only hope. Only you can change the human heart. You are the only one who can bring healing and restoration. And so we pray in Jesus' name that you would act for the glory of your name and the good of your people. Father, we pray that you would make us an awakened people who understand that we have been um, awakened by you and sent to awaken others. We have the good news of the gospel. And I pray that you would make us, God, make us a people who speak the good news with our mouths and with our lives. Lord, I now, I wanna ask for your help this morning. God, I pray that you would help me to apply your word correctly. I pray, God, that you would keep me from error. I pray that you would help me to edify your saints this morning. Father, I ask that you give all of us a supernatural ability to completely fix our hearts and our minds on you this morning. By the power of your Holy Spirit, bring illumination to our minds as we look at your word. May we together drink deeply from your word this morning. Father, I pray that you would overcome all of my inabilities and that you would apply your word to the hearts of your people this morning. Oh, how we desperately need you, Lord. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, with each year that passes, it becomes more and more obvious how polarization and tribalism have affected our society. And when I use those terms, polarization and tribalism, I'm not talking just about disagreements between people. I'm talking about the hatred and the vitriol that is spewing out of people towards others who disagree with them. That is the result of polarization and tribalism. The division and the hostility that we're seeing, the division and hostility that we're feeling is becoming more and more frequent. And in many cases, it's leading to violence and to lawlessness. I think we've all been in situations or we've heard of situations where this is the case. And there's probably no other area where this is more obvious than in politics. During the 1960, let's listen to this stat. During the 1960 presidential campaign, around 10% of political advertisements aired were negative. Only 10% were negative. By 2012, only 14% of campaign ads were positive. And I think it's safe to say that 2016 and 2020 only saw the number of positive ads shrink even more. Well, unfortunately, the church has not led well in the areas of tribalism and polarization. 
It is sad, but it's accurate to say that in many ways we have failed as the church. We have failed to provide a good example for society when it comes to unity and compassion and kindness. We as believers may find ourselves wrestling with a hostile attitude towards Christian brothers and sisters who we disagree with. We might be tempted to point an an angry finger in the face of a brother or sister who sees a political or social issue just a little bit differently than we do. As we look out at the state of our church in this country, it's, it's not as if the destructive monsters of tribalism and polarization are knocking at the door. They've already made their way inside. And in many cases, they're living quite comfortably within our churches. Brothers and sisters, this should not be. In our passage this morning, we find ourselves back in the book of Romans. We took a little bit of a break uh, for our Advent series, and then we had two additional sermons, and now we are right back to where we left off right before Thanksgiving. Remember that this section of Romans that we're in now, uh, really from the beginning of chapter 14 all the way through uh, half of 15, it has one pervasive theme, and that theme is unity within the church. Paul wants the believers in Rome to be united in spite of non-essential differences that might be present. And before we dig deep into our passage today, let's take a step back and let's remember who made up the church at Rome. First, we should note that the, the church here had significant representation from those with both Jewish and Gentile backgrounds. What this means is that there would be a notable cultural and even religious customs that people would bring in to the new Christian community. And these people, this church, the church here would have to learn how to exist and how to get along together in Christian community in spite of their differences. Let me ask you, does this sound familiar at all? Moreover, because of the different backgrounds that these believers come from, we see that some of the teachings and some of the principles within the Christian faith are more difficult for some of the believers to understand. There are some things that they might, the Christians here might have learned from their, in their past, and it's now making it difficult to, for them to fully understand and fully comprehend what they're learning now. I'll ask again, does this sound familiar at all? Now, as we look at the immediate context for our passage this morning, we see that the believers in Rome have been passing unnecessary judgment on one another. They're judging one another over the food that they eat, over the things that they drink, over the observation of the Sabbath, and surely there are other things where believers are passing judgment on one another. Essentially, they're judging each other based off things where judgment does not need to be passed. And as a result of this, division is creeping into the church. And really, the thesis statement here for the entire section, um, from beginning of Romans 14 all the way through half of 15, the thesis statement is Romans 14, 17 that we looked at back in November. So I want to read that for us again before we look specifically at verses 20 to 23. And I want to let this verse set the tone in your mind as we look at our passage. So Paul says this in verse 17 of chapter 14. 
He writes, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Verse 17 is the main point of, of everything that we're going to talk about in, from 14 to the, the middle of 15. 17 is the main point, and 20 and 23 here provide uh, supporting statements for that, that statement there. They provide us with additional insight so that we can see uh, this reality, that it can remain at the forefront of our minds. So with that in mind, with verse 17, kind of the lens that we're looking at this passage through, let's read verses 20 and 23 again together. Paul writes, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Here, Paul is reiterating a lot of what he's already said previously. And while there might be a temptation for us to quickly pass over these verses, I think the repetition here, it should cause us to pay extra close attention. We typically don't repeat things that are unimportant. It's the important things that we want to repeat and emphasize so that people understand what we're saying. And here, Paul is providing some key things for us to consider as we continue to think about unity in the church. And the first thing that we see here in our passage is that believers should be focused on building one another up in the faith and in Christian community. Believers should be focused on building one another up in the faith and in Christian community, not destroying not in, uh, and not tearing down. When Paul says right there at the beginning, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God, what he's saying is that trivial matters should not lead to a fracturing of unity within the church. He's saying that non-essentials should not destroy that which is essential. And whether we want to acknowledge it or not, unity within the body of Christ, unity within the church, is something that we should all hold to be essential. Now, when we talk about unity, this is important, when we talk about unity, we're not talking about uniformity. Paul is not saying that we must perfectly agree on everything. Now, there are, of course, things that we must agree on if we're going to be faithful to the teachings of Scripture. Some things in the Bible are very clear, and they must be believed in order for one to be a Christian. To be a Christian, one must believe that Jesus is God incarnate, fully God and fully man. One must believe that as our representative and substitute, Jesus shed his blood on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for sins. He then rose from the grave proving that he was God in flesh and that he possessed power over death. And it's only through us placing our faith in Christ that salvation is possible. Friends, the good news of the gospel, that is essential. 
And we must never compromise the gospel for the sake of unity. And while there's some things that are extremely important when it comes to our understanding of the Bible and of Christianity, things like the, the mode of baptism or the timing in which Christ will return or how the church should be organized, all these things are important. But a disagreement on things that are non-essential should not cause us to withdraw the hand of Christian friendship. Disagreements on non-essentials have led to the formation of, of different denominations within the church as a whole, but even that does not mean we cannot reach across the denominational line for the good of the kingdom. In my opinion, there's nothing wrong with different denominations. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem comes when we refuse to work together. Even looking at church history, when you look at the Reformation of the 16th century, you see some of the great reformers in the church trying to find common ground with those whom they profoundly disagree with. The aim of the reformers wasn't to separate from the church, but to reform it. And how often do we forget the words of Christ in his high priestly prayer in John 17, where he prays that we may be one, even as he is one with the Father. Friends, don't be tricked into thinking that unity does not matter because it's so easy for us to leave our Christian community, to leave our local church, and simply join another one. It's a blessing for us to have many churches in our area and really across the country where the gospel is preached each week. That is a blessing. But this luxury, if we're not careful, it can cause us to cut and run the first time we come to a disagreement within the church. Disagreement is okay. It's even good sometimes. Disunity is not. We must not destroy the work of God over our opinions or our thoughts on a given issue. So here, in the context of our passage here in Romans, unity in the church, it is essentially being disrupted by misunderstandings about Christian freedom. You see, here at the, the church at Rome, there are some Christians who understand that they are not bound by the dietary laws from the Old Testament. Paul makes this point clear in verse 20. So there's no confusion for the church when he says, everything is indeed clean. Paul understands, he even wishes that all the Christians in Rome would understand what Christ's coming means for the Jewish law. The laws about ritual purity, they no longer apply to the believers then. They no longer apply to us now. Christians are not made righteous through what they eat or even by what we do, but through faith in Christ. And that's the theme for the entire book of Romans, justification by faith alone. We've seen that as we've looked through the book here. However, there are some believers in the church in, in Rome here that are struggling with this concept. The Christians here from a, a Jewish background, they may have difficulty discarding a lifetime of habits and teachings that they've received. They're torn between what they've been taught their whole lives and what they're hearing now. When the strong in faith eat things and drink things that the weak in faith consider unclean, there's a potential that this could lead to some, some friction within the church. 
Paul is clear, and we should be clear here as well, that everything is indeed clean. But because this can cause unnecessary offense, Paul tells the strong in faith to withhold. That's the point of verse 21 here. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Friends, strong believers can do major damage to the church by their actions towards those who are weak in faith. And just so we're clear on terms here, because this is very important, take the term strong believers or strong in faith to refer to those who understand the gospel and its implications for living. Take the term weak in faith as referring to those who have received Christ as Lord. They are Christians, but they don't quite fully understand how the gospel impacts the way that they live. There's a lot more explaining we could do with that, but those are simple definitions that I think will be helpful to us. The strong in faith, they understand the freedom they have in Christ when it comes to the ritual laws of the Old Testament, but they're wrong in how they apply their freedom. If you got lost there for a moment, here is the point to what Paul is getting at. It is wrong for us to cause unnecessary offense by what we do. It is wrong for us to confuse and unnecessarily offend other believers through our actions. If peace and unity and edification are important to us, then we should gladly refrain from activities that might cause a fellow believer to undergo spiritual harm. Now, I know some of you are probably wanting me to give specific examples right now. Like just tell me what I need to refrain from doing so that, it, so that I don't cause a brother or sister to stumble. Just tell me what I need to do so I don't cause unnecessary offense. But here's, here's the thing. There is no exact parallel for what Paul is saying here. There's no list that we could just rattle off. There is one big thing that we should know, and I think this will kind of help us understand what Paul is saying. Now, this next statement, it is true for all of us, but in our, our, context, our context here, what damages the weak in faith is to engage in anything that is contrary to their conscience and their convictions. What damages the weak in faith is to engage in anything that is contrary to their conscience and convictions. When we purposely engage in activities and practices that we know will cause spiritual harm and confusion to a fellow believer, we are laying a stumbling block for that believer. Friends, the Christian conscience is a very important gift that we have. Now, this is not the angel on one shoulder, devil on the other shoulder kind of thing here. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about the conscience. Our conscience is a built-in warning system that signals to us when we've done something wrong, or it tells us that something that we're about to do is wrong. I've read this analogy before, and maybe you'll find it helpful as we think about the conscience. But the conscience is to the soul what pain sensors are to the body. The conscience inflicts distress in the form of guilt whenever we violate what our heart is telling us is right. In a lot of ways, verse 22 and 23 of our passage have to do with the conscience. In verse 22, when Paul says, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God, he's not saying that Christians should be quiet 
when it comes to their witness for Christ. That would go against everything that the New Testament speaks to in terms of evangelism. Instead, what Paul is saying is that the strong in faith should refrain from flaunting their freedom in a way that harms the conscience of the weak. And this, this is why this is so important. Because if we act contrary to our conscience, then we lack an anchor for our life. Perhaps Martin Luther said it best when he said, to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. And while we're on the subject of Christian conscience, we need to understand, this is important here as well, the conscience is not infallible. Sometimes our conscience can be wrong, as it was for many at the church at Rome. Friends, the conscience is only valuable to us when it is shaped by God's word. The Bible must be the compass for our conscience. And if we're not careful, the standards of surrounding culture or the traditions that we come from will lead our conscience in a way that is contrary to God's word. The Bible must provide the gas so that the engine of our conscience can function correctly. Look again with me here at verse 23 as we sort of finish our thought on this. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. An action, and in this case, eating food that others consider ritually unclean, but an action that goes against your conscience and does not flow from a conviction found in your faith in Christ, that action is sinful. Friends, if our actions cannot be justified on the grounds of our convictions, then we must refrain from that action. If we start to violate our conscience when it comes to the convictions that we have, then we are in sin. If we do something that we believe is wrong, even if it isn't necessarily wrong, then we violate our conscience and we are in sin. That's why Paul says, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Blessed is the one whose conscience has been shaped by the word of God and has no reservation about what they believe. The one who makes a habit of violating their conscience is like a ship that has lost its sea. It's lost its anchor and it is at the mercy of the wind and the waves. And when we, through our actions, cause others to violate their conscience and to go against the convictions that they have, then what we do is we remove that anchor that they have for their life. And in doing this, we disrupt the unity that we share as a church. So if we, if we sort of take a step back now, let's take a step back from what we've looked at in the passage this morning. What I want to do now is I want to hone in on four principles that I really want us to take away this morning. There's other things that we could point out, but I've got four things I really want us to hold on to and I really want you to see this morning. I wanna make sure we're clear on this. Four things, the first one here. We should not be surprised when we differ over matters that are not essential to the faith. We should not be surprised when we differ over matters that are not essential to the faith. What was happening here in the church at Rome has happened and will happen in every church that you will ever be a part of. You may think that you get along perfectly with everyone in our church. 
Like everyone is so wonderful, how could we ever have any kind of disagreement? But I promise you there will be people who you will disagree with on some things. Even if we were just a church of five people, there would be disagreements that would come up. There would be things that would crop up that could cause unity to be severed over things that are are non-essential. So the next time that you're at community group or you're in women's ministry, or even if you're just studying the Bible together with, with some people from our church, and you find some things that you disagree on, you don't have to get angry and decide that it's time to go find another church. Instead, view your disagreement as an opportunity to practice Christian unity. View your disagreement as an opportunity to practice Christian unity. Remember, you can disagree and still be united for the kingdom of God. Do not destroy the work of God for something that is not essential. Next, from our passage, we see that we should learn to relate to others in a loving manner. We should learn to relate to others in a loving manner. Now, this is important. I want to point this out. No one was higher on Christian freedom than Paul. He believed in Christian freedom. He taught Christian freedom. You can look at Galatians 5 or Colossians 2. You'll see exactly what I mean. No one spoke more on Christian freedom than Paul. But the exercise of the freedom that we have in Christ must always be subordinated to the need of others. We must be prepared. We must be willing to forego anything that might cause spiritual harm to another. When we do this, we show that we really and truly love others and value them more than ourselves. Third here, we see that we must be careful when it comes to issues on the conscience. We must be careful when it comes to issues on the conscience. Someone may be wrong when it comes to a particular conviction that they have. They may be misguided in a conviction that they have. I'm not talking about a, a sinful conviction. I'm just saying that someone may have a conviction that they have that is not based on Scripture. This is a really silly example, but maybe, maybe someone believes that if you stay awake past midnight, it's wrong because anything that happens after midnight uh, is typically not good. Maybe that is a conviction that they have. And while that's not based on Scripture, they hold that to be true. We need to remember that it's not our job to change the conscience of a Christian. Not our job to do that. Only the Word of God applied by the Holy Spirit can bring a healthy change to the conscience. Just in that silly example, there are plenty of good things that can happen after midnight, right? You can lead someone to faith in Christ after midnight. So that's just a silly example of a conviction that someone might have that is a little bit misguided. But for them, they hold that to be true. If someone has a conviction that you know is misguided but not sinful, let the Word do the work when it comes to changing that conviction. Don't try to argue and reason that person's conscience to a healthier place. Leave that work to the Lord. Finally, I want us all to see that church unity is something that we should all desire. Church unity is something that we should all desire. In every one of Paul's letters, there is some sense in which he addresses unity. Friends, a unified church 
is one of the strongest evidences of the truth of the gospel. Our society is so polarized. Countercultural unity among a diverse group of people is sure to stand out. It's sure to give a powerful witness to the power of the gospel. And as I studied this passage this week, I just became more and more convinced and really even convicted that we should be actively working towards unity in, in the church. In our local church, amongst churches here on the Grand Strand, unity is something that we need to work towards. So if we have, if we have someone in our church who we, we know we have a bit of a rift with, I think we need to intentionally seek that person out um, and seek, seek unity. Maybe their, their disagreement will remain. Maybe you'll have to just agree to disagree. But we should do everything in our power to re- retain that sense of Christian unity, the unity that we have in the gospel. And I know there's going to be there's going to be cases where that's just not possible, where the, maybe the best thing um, for us to do would be to remain brothers and sisters in the Lord, but to serve in different local churches. I know there's going to be cases where that happens, but really that should be the last resort. We should always seek to remain together in the local church, if at all possible. So maybe you're here this morning or you're watching online. In unity, it really has not been a high value of yours. And if you're honest with yourself, you don't really care about Christian unity one way or the other. Friend, if that's you, I pray that Paul's words And that Jesus' words, we just looked at a quick snippet of it, but Jesus' words in John 17, I pray that that would really hit home for you today. Because unity for the sake of the kingdom is essential for the cause of Christ. I don't know if you realize this or not, but one of the way in which we are reminded of our unity together in the local church is when we take communion together. Listen to what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 10, 16 to 17. He writes, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. When we take communion together. Not only are we remembering the union that we have with Jesus through faith in him, but we remember the union that we have with one another as believers. And in a real spiritual way, we are being united to Christ and to one another through the presence of the Holy Spirit when we take communion together. This communion meal that we take each week as a church family It is open to everyone who has placed their faith in Christ. So if you're here with us this morning and you are not a Christian, what I want to invite you to do is for these next few minutes, just take some time and consider what it could mean for you to be part of the family of God. What could it mean for you to have Christ as your Savior and treasure? I would love nothing more than to talk to you about that after the service. So communion will be served here at the front, and I invite you to make your way forward uh, as you feel led. 
And I'm going to pray, and then our worship team is going to lead us in song as we continue in our worship this morning. And again, as you feel led, you can make your way forward and come and receive communion. So let's pray together. Father, your word, all of it's important. And you repeat things for us that are especially important. Father, throughout Scripture, we see that unity in the body of Christ is important. So, Father, I pray that we would be a a church that strives for unity with one another, that strives for unity with other churches where the gospel is preached. Father, I pray that disagreements over things that are not essential would not lead to a withdrawing of Christian fellowship. Father, I pray even this week that you would give me, that you would give us and our church opportunities to uh, practice unity with people that we know we disagree with a little bit on some secondary and tertiary issues, God. Father, I pray that as the, the world looks at our church and the Christian church, that there would be an undeniable sense in which a diverse group of people from different backgrounds different traditions are unified in their, say, in their desire for you to be glorified and unified in their commitment to the gospel. So Father, make that true of us. Father, may we seek out those whom we have disagreements with and, and a fractured unity and may you repair that through the power of the Holy Spirit. But I pray that you'll give us the courage to take the step to reach out to those people. Father, I pray that you... Um, We'll bless the rest of this service, Lord, as we continue in worship of you. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.